0: This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Do you find yourself juggling multiple websites and clinical tools as you care for your patients? NeoCarePal is a resource providing access to multiple clinical calculators in just one place. To learn more, visit NICUconnections.com backslash
1: NeoCarePal. This is The Incubator.
2: So, um, my daughter Sarah was born at 23 weeks, 6 days, and had an awesome start to her course in the NICU, uh, was advancing, doing uh, everything we wanted her to do, we felt like we were out of a danger zone, and then when she was 59 days old, um, she was diagnosed with totalis and she died within 12 hours of being diagnosed. So, um, after that happening, I wanted to learn more about NEC, I wanted to do something about this disease, um, and I... Found that there really weren't any nonprofits or anything at the time, at least nationally, working on NEC. And I was able to find Jen, who had just months before launched this organization called NEC Society. So um, I joined forces with her. Uh, this has been nine or ten years ago. We've been working together ever since. And this NEC symposium is something the NEC Society does that um, is sort of central to all of our work uh, as far as um, building a community that cares about necrotizing enterocolitis, uh, no matter what kind of stakeholder you are, it might be a clinician or a researcher, patient family, even industry, regulatory folks. And so I'm just here because um, I love getting everybody together in the room that cares about babies and families and uh, wants to end this disease. Um, so I'm here for that reason. I'm, I do this work in honor of my daughter, but also for every other um, family that's impacted. So uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I think sharing my story is um, can be motivational. It, it humanizes the disease. Um, it helps us all uh, remember why it's so urgent and important to uh, make progress.
1: What, what was your daughter's name?
2: Her name is Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, thank Go you ahead. for asking.
0: Absolutely. I was so moved by your story of Sarah um, just before this last uh, breakout session and thank you for sharing, Sarah, with all of us. I, I totally agree. We've talked a lot about storytelling um, today with some of our other interviews and how powerful they can be. One, as you said, as a, a motivator, right, to, to doing um, the work, um, some of which is so much of which is being presented in the next few days. But also for us to try to start to understand what, um, this diagnosis means for families and how we can better support families. And I think you described it beautifully, painfully so, but you said you asked the team, you know, why did this happen? Um, why our baby, why us and, Gosh, we still don't have some of those answers, right? Uh, families are
2: desperate for understanding. Even um, years after their baby's NICU course, whether they are bereaved or have a survivor, um, families are just desperate for answers. What is this disease? Almost to a person, families have not heard about necrotizing or colitis until it happens to their baby. People feel isolated or... Um, you know, to to have this horrible disease happen to you, but no one's ever heard of it. It's um, so confusing. Uh, there's a barrage, there's actually, a lot of information out there about it. Some of it accurate, and much of it not. <laughs> absolutely overwhelming to families, and usually we're trying to figure it it out during this time of crisis. Families are absolutely overwhelmed. Um, so that's uh, one of the challenges that that we face as families. Um, but I think. You mentioned our stores being motivating, uh, and that's part of it. And you mentioned you know, really understanding the patient family experience better. But I think there's also something that comes out of this, these collaboratory efforts when we all get together is that patient families have a unique point of view. And it has I have seen it spur research projects, new initiatives. Um, when we work in our silos, it's easy to keep going down that same path. But when patient families say, no, this is actually what matters to me, or this is something that needs to be better understood, I have seen it spark new work that I think wouldn't have happened if we weren't having those conversations. So I think the more voices in the room, the more innovative we'll be. And so that's another reason it's just so important to have families who've been affected here.
0: What a critical idea. I actually think... We had a division meeting recently, and I think Ben said this: when we can partner with families as equal members of the care team, um, you know, might we not pick up on uh, the changes in their baby sooner? Um, you know, are you know, there are so many things that the parent and the family bring to the bedside that no other member of the care team can do. Um, I always say that the family is the most critical
2: member of the care team and it, there's a there's many many folks that are participating in care but first and foremost it's the parents and we have so many families who've said to me I just felt like something was off I just noticed that I knew my baby just wasn't quite right sometimes it's listened to sometimes it's not and especially when it's not and then a baby go on, goes on to have a significant issue families feel like why didn't anybody listen to me I, I tried to bring this up. So I think that the um, uh, removing the hierarchies in the NICU is so important and helping families to understand that not only are they welcome there, they are crucial and central to the care, and that they are... Um, it's such a key component in, in the baby's care team that they have a right to be at rounds. They have a right to ask questions. We want them to participate fully, or as fully as they can, in their baby's care. Um, not just for them, but it, it's better for everyone. It's better for for the baby, um, and and families really often pick up on those early signs um, uh, earlier than anybody else would. So, at the next society, we are um, all about empowering patient families to be there, to be central to the care, to not feel uh, intimidated uh, and know that that they are needed, that they are critical uh, as part of the care team. And and I I also just want to say we're really grateful to clinicians um, who are open to that idea mm. and welcoming. We have met many, many clinicians who are, and I feel like things are changing, that Mm. there is a cultural shift that is happening within NICUs, um, embracing uh, family-centered care and understanding the important role of the parent. So I think we're getting there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's an interesting point because um, losing, for for me, losing a patient in the NICU um, rarely happens knowingly. Like you rarely know that something bad is happening and you're just not doing anything about it and you're just letting things uh, escalate And so because things happen when you feel like you are in the dark, having any form of voice or hand on your arm that can be like, hey, you need to pause for a second and just reassess, look at this again. This is something that is not just welcome, but desired. Because Mm -hmm. if for every patient that I've lost in the NICU, somebody could have told me, hey, Ben, you need to think about this baby one more time before you move on. um, I would have paid millions of dollars Mm -hmm. to actually get that input.
2: And most families, many, many families are there day in, day out, mm-hmm. seeing these things, sometimes uh, they don't feel empowered enough to even bring it up. And maybe you wish they would share, but they maybe don't know that they can share or, you know, who am I to, to speak up? So we want families to know that it, it's helpful to everyone and that clinicians want, want their feedback and input too, that it really is a team effort.
1: Mm-hmm. In the beginning of this uh, conversation, you said that you, you are here at the next symposium because you, you wanted people to care um, I feel like if I was in the car, I would be saying out loud, like, I care. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I, I think everybody cares about babies when we tell our stories. I, I, I think people care. Uh, people don't know. <laughs> I think not enough people know about necrotizing enterocolitis. I think those who do know care. I've never met anyone who has heard about this disease, heard about the impact on our babies and our families and not didn't care. Mm-hmm. I think that the challenge is getting these stories um, to a broader uh, audience that maybe isn't in the NICU, not involved in research, um, and going because everybody cares once they hear it. But the issue is getting getting the word out and I'm especially interested in getting the word out to people who have funding power. People at regulatory agencies who can help move along uh, clinical trials and drug development. I think those are the people that I really want to care. I want them to understand that this is an urgent problem. Hundreds of babies are dying in the U.S. every year from this disease. Thousands are affected. Um, I want the, the people that can help us get the science off the bench and into the clinical setting. Those are the people I want to care. So, um, I, I hope we can get their ears.
1: I, I think it's, it's interesting because we were just talking to Mark Del Monte about this. And if you're looking at the number of babies that are affected by NEC and the NICU, it's a relatively small number. But what we tend to forget is mm-hmm. that all the babies that have suffered from NEC, yes. all the babies that have survived, those that have passed, are sort of standing and bearing witness to what are we doing about this. And this number, until, this, until the goals of the next society are achieved, which are to build a world without neck, they sort of stand and watch over us asking, when, when is this going to go away? And I think that no matter what the statistics look like at a given time in the NICU, the number of babies continues to mount. And that is the pressure that we should all be feeling towards getting to our goal. So um, I appreciate you, you saying that.
0: Sometimes um, we wonder how parents can be so courageous to come tell their stories, and certainly throughout the course of the next few days, lots of families are coming to tell their stories um, and there are a number of reasons why maybe families are aren't able to or aren't willing to uh, to to do that and um, i I guess part of uh, my question is, Is you told us a little bit about what motivates you to do it, but how do you actually do it? And the second is, you know, we don't often get the opportunity to talk to bereaved parents. Um, and I, I'd like to hear about how we can better support bereaved parents, um, especially since the NICU is kind of this isolated place and they go home and we do some bereavement follow-up, but it never seems like enough given the magnitude of the loss. Okay. Both great questions. Um, I'll start
2: with how parents like, like myself can do this. Um, I can All I can say is for me is I'm compelled to do it. I don't feel like I really have a choice uh, in the matter. Uh, everybody's different, everyone deals with trauma, uh, grief in their own way, but I know most of my colleagues at the Next Society have a similar experience where what we went through, we can't imagine allowing that to happen to other babies and families without doing everything in our power to stop it. Um, we can also do this work in honor of our children, whether we are bereaved or have a survivor. So that's very motivating. Um, and I think that the way that we can do it and stay standing is uh, in solidarity. The Next Society has hundreds and thousands of patient families that lean on each other and support each other. I, I couldn't do it if it was just me. But it's not me. It's it's me and all of my colleagues' Who have been through it and so I think that there's power in us coming together and we're able to do it because we lean on each other support each other um, so that's key also finding clinicians and researchers who understand our vision and support us we can do it because we have these you know, esteemed scientists and clinicians who also think that we can do it and so it's very validating to have them standing with us. So uh, I think the way that, that we can do it is together and that we really couldn't if we didn't uh, have each other. So that was the first question. And then um, bereavement, uh, difficult to address um, because the fact is nothing can make it better. Some things can make it worse, though. you know. And so I think if we can do whatever possible not to make things worse. And so for me, that's things like um, simply being human. We had a great bereavement team um, when we lost our daughter, Sarah, but most of the care team who had been caring for us to that point was um, not associated whatsoever. We were handed off to a bereavement team, they helped us get through the things we had to get through. And I didn't see any of our other um, caregivers very much after that point. And I, I love our caregivers. We got great care. Um, but um, it's hard when a baby dies. And I, I understand that people may not uh, want to, um, they feel like they don't want to infringe or interrupt or bother us. But I wanted the people who had cared for her while she was alive to also be there and help us care for her after she died so I wish we would have had more of the, the care team that, that we dealt with for months um, be part of that bereavement process and not just someone coming uh, in from outside as the bereavement person. It would have made me feel like um, the care team you know, saw her as a person and had a relationship with her and with us. You know, We spent every day with these folks. And then um, when she died, it felt like that relationship was just gone. Um, So that that was painful. As much as I love our care team, I wish they could have been more uh, part of that bereavement process. And then um, personally, after we left the hospital, I think we got one call from a social worker and that was it. We never heard from anyone ever again. We were just on our own. And I felt like, why did the care stop? I mean, I understand that our daughter is no longer under medical care, but to me, the baby and the parents are a patient family unit and I needed help and support and um, it, there is just nothing. We we received absolutely no follow-up, follow-up bereavement care, or anything. Um, so that sort of hard stop of caring for us as the as the family of the patient uh, was very painful too.
1: I have something to say about that. Because I think, Daphna, you're very good at mm-hmm. following up with families in that scenario. I am very bad. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's it's actually... Nice for me to hear your your thoughts because to me when these things happen, there's really a a feeling of responsibility that we've let a family down, and it's extreme. And it's not that we don't want to engage, but it's just we feel feel like crap. We feel like we've Mm. failed a family, we failed a baby, and um, and it's very hard to face. Our our easiest solution is to get right back on the saddle, see if I can help anyone right now because I need to feel better about myself because having lost a patient is just so traumatizing. So mm. it's nice to hear that, that this would be welcomed yeah. and um, and that this is something that, that could be just as therapeutic as all the care that uh, was received during the, the A- NICU stay. Ab-
2: absolutely. I, thank you for sharing that. And I think that um, if you look at, uh, you you can't do anything for the patient that has died at that point, but you are still caring for the family. And by reaching out um, and continuing to uh, acknowledge the loss. That is such a service to the parents and the family. So as a care provider, I think that that is just the best care you can give. Everyone I know that has been bereaved in the NICU knows exactly which clinicians reached out, who came to a memorial service, who sent a card, who just had a conversation, who sat with them and listened. Um, we all uh, remember years and years and years later which of the members of the care team did that because it means so much to us and it makes us feel like our baby mattered so um, I really encourage you I I know that it's hard I know that there's so much on your plate and you just want to care for your patients but if you can continue that care just a little bit for uh, us as bereaved parents it's um, more deeply appreciated
0: than you might think Jen said something at the end of her story, and I think this is especially true for NICU, I mean, for all NICU parents, um, especially during the time of COVID and with different visitation rules, um, that for a lot of families, very few people even meet their baby. And so I guess my question is, as clinicians... um, what is our responsibility, and what is the power in having, you know, borne witness to your baby and having known your your child? Yeah, so I um, that's
2: personal to me. We had a primary nurse that was with us, you know, many many of our days, and she was one of the few people that knew her. Mm-hmm. My husband and I, of course, were in the NICU uh, every day, and my mother was able to to travel out and met her. And that's all. No one else of my friends or family ever met my daughter, Sarah. But my primary care nurse knew everything about me, everything about her. I feel like she's family because she was physically there. She knew my daughter um, almost as well as anyone on, on this earth knew my daughter. So to me, she's family now um, because it's so limited who was there, as you said, to, to bear witness that, that she... My Sarah is a is a human and she had a life and she was on this planet and um and our nurses especially spent time with her and knew her and uh very, very few did. So I think that the more clinicians can see that they have like a sacred um place within the family because so few Um, people that we care about got to know our child, but they were there. They saw them. They touched them. Um, So that's, um, like I said, to me, that's a a sacred role that our uh, caregivers have in the NICU.
0: Appreciate
1: that. I want to leave it on this, if you're okay with that.
0: I don't think there's anything else we can say. We're so grateful for you coming and sharing Sarah with us. Um, We know it doesn't get any easier every time you yep. tell her story, but um, we can see that change is happening. And um, the one thing that is true throughout medical history is that groups of parents have always pushed medicine forward. So we see that happening right now.
1: Yep. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nicupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.theincubator.com dash incubator.org. you can also message the show on instagram or x formerly known as twitter at nicu podcast thanks again for listening and see you next time this podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice if you have any medical concerns please see your primary care practitioner thank you